Well, for many, September, of course, uh, brings a new start. I realise for some here, it actually is a chance uh, to get away for some late summer sun at a cheaper price as those with children go back to school. But even then, there's a sort of a reset moment for everyone in September, isn't there? A new academic year, perhaps a new job, a new start, I don't know what it is. So I wonder what it was that you answered uh, when we saw Pele's uh, meet and greet question a few minutes ago. Uh, There it is again. At the end of this year in London, what would success look like? What is it that you are hoping for? What is it that in maybe July you want to be able to say, the year went well because dot, dot, dot. What are your hopes? Well, perhaps you have just moved to London for a new job, and by the summer of next year, you hope to be able to tell people that you're doing really well at it. Your appraisals have gone uh, really well. Uh, You've been given more responsibility, new client accounts, whatever it is. If you carry on like this, you will be a prime candidate for promotion. Or maybe this week actually starts uh, a new academic year at school for you, maybe with exams at the end of it. Would success be getting the right results to get into the right college that you want to go to, or captaining a sports team or whatever it is for you? Or maybe you're actually just hoping to be able to write something really positive about your children or your grandchildren in uh, the Christmas letter this year. Maybe it's a wedding, a new house. I don't know what it is. Now, I know that many of us here who would call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, know that the sorts of things that I have just talked about are not what we are meant to be setting our hopes on. We know that. But we need to ask ourselves honestly, whether that is actually true. Are those things the things that we have set our lives up to gain? Where are our hopes? Would would we feel completely crushed if our ability to pursue those things was actually taken away from us, cut short? What are our hopes for this coming year? What are you hoping for? Is it friends, family, job, the glory of God? Well, that last one is what Paul is hoping for, isn't it? Turn back to page 1132, if you've closed your Bibles, please. And we're looking at Romans chapter 5, all about hope. Let me read from the end of verse 2 again. Romans 5, page 1132. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul hopes in the glory of God. Or more accurately, he actually boasts in the glory, in the hope of the glory of God. He goes around saying, you know what? I hope in the glory of God. Now, I wonder what you are thinking as you heard uh, those words. Maybe it's this. Really, Paul? How can you boast in the hope of the glory of God? You're just a human. Or perhaps you're more on the level of what on earth is Phil talking about when he talks about the hope of the glory of God? What does that actually mean? Well, let's clear up a couple of questions by defining some words 
And then we'll see three things about that hope. And I'm praying that everything that we see in the next 20 minutes or so will add up to each of us being able to rejoice, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, even in times of suffering, because we know that God loves us. So here's just a couple of definitions to help us. Uh, Firstly, what is hope in this context? What is Paul talking about? We use the word all the time, but with different meanings. So what does Paul mean here? I listened to a really interesting uh, podcast this week about uh, the subject of hope, and there was a debate about whether hope is actually a good thing or a bad thing. Apparently, in the Greek myth uh, of Pandora and her jar, and it's a jar, not a box, apparently, hope is the only thing that's left in the jar when all the evil enters the world. And so some people ask whether hope is actually a good thing because it keeps us going by looking forward uh, to something in the future, thinking that one day we'll actually get there. Or is hope actually a bad thing because it gives us unrealistic expectations? Is it a form of sort of Marx's opium of the people, giving people um, unreal expectations, blinding them to the real nature of their circumstances? Is it good or is it bad? Well, the Bible and Paul in this particular context would say it's definitely a good thing. Christian hope is a good thing. It is not vague or uncertain. It is not pie in the sky when you die. We can define it as this. It is the certain expectation of future glory. Hope, the certain expectation of future glory. That is, being sure that what God has said will happen will, in fact, come to pass. It will happen. Now, we'll unpack that much more as we go along. I want to define a second thing. I want us to define the phrase, the glory of God, that you see there in verse 2. Now, God's glory is a massive concept in the Bible, and we had Isaiah 6, and we had uh, Psalm 24, and in general, it sort of means God's greatness as revealed to his creation. It's a bit like one of those uh, drone displays celebrating something, showing off something. I think we've got a couple of pictures uh, of that, I hope. Uh, So here's uh, Pikachu and a corgi in drones. Isn't it amazing what you can do? Uh, nowadays uh, to show off your city or your theme park or whatever it is. Here, Paul means something slightly more uh, distinct. One commentator calls it the state of God-likeness. So if we could flick back to the definition, that'd be great. The state of God-likeness. Paul is talking about sharing in God's greatness, his life and the presence Uh, that we will have with him in the new creation. Instead of just watching that drone display, actually, we will one day be part of it. It's slightly hard to put into words, I found this week, but Christians have the privilege of helping to display just how great God actually is, the eternal creator, the triune God, as we live in perfect relationship with him forever. And so armed with those two definitions of hope and the glory of God, let's set out on our journey of hope through these verses. And here's the first thing that we're going to see from our passage. It is that peace with God brings solid hope. Peace with God brings solid hope. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever had to uh, raise funds for anything, uh, some endeavor or other gap year project, a charity that you uh, work for, or something like that. Some people find that easier than others, writing letters to unknown trusts and people, asking them for money or something like that. Now, one of the reasons that Paul wrote this uh, letter to Christians in Rome in the mid-50s AD was that he was planning on going on a mission, and he needed funds for it. As Pesh told us last Sunday evening, if you're here, Paul tells us in chapter 15 that he had Spain in his sights as virgin ground for telling people the good news of the Lord Jesus. Now, he knows lots of people in Rome already, as chapter 16 uh, tells us. But he didn't start the Christian community there as he did in many other places. And so, as he asks for money and for prayer uh, for his trip, he sets out what he would be preaching if he arrives on the Costa del Sol. His plan is to excite them to become partners to get involved in God's unstoppable mission of making Jesus known all over the world. A mission that since Paul's day has brought the gospel here to London. That is why we are standing here. And a mission that we are at All Souls are passionate about being part of, taking the name of Jesus to the nations within our city and right around the world. Now we're joining uh, Paul right in the middle of that explanation of the gospel in chapter 5. And it's a bit of a turning point. So have a look at verse uh, 1 again. Let me read from verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, we could spend a whole sermon series on those words because they sort of summarize the main message of Paul's letter to the Romans so far. If you uh, read chapters 1 to 4, you'll see that Paul systematically outlines how every human has fallen short of God's good and perfect standards by turning away from him. The result is God's wrath standing against every person, his good, proper anger against rebellion against him. In fact, the language of verses 1 and 2 is there in another key uh, bit from the book a bit earlier on. In chapter 3, we've got those on the screen as well. It says this, the righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is just summarizing at the beginning of chapter 5 his main point. Now, as I've said, we haven't got time to go through all of that. But it's worth saying that if you are new at All Souls and you want to join a life group, do come and talk to me about roots that Pele mentioned earlier. Uh, make my way over to the Connect Corner as well, Uh, because we will be spending the whole year exploring the letter to the Romans. I'm really excited about it. The main point that we need to know for our uh, series on a Sunday evening in the next uh, four weeks is this. By the time we get to Romans chapter 5, Paul has proved that Christians 
are justified or declared right with God by faith in Jesus' death. In other words, we are in good standing with God only by trusting in Jesus. That is the rock on which the rest of the letter, and particularly chapter 5 that we're looking at, is built. So with that very inadequate uh, sketch of where we're up to so far, I hope we can see the brightness of the good news as we come to 5 verse 1. Jesus' death puts to an end the hostility that is between us and God. As Paul says in verse 1, we have peace with God. Now we'll spend uh, next week thinking about how the cross brings us peace. But first... This week, Paul wants us to revel in that fact, in that new relationship with God. You see the the word peace in verse 1, it means more than just an end to hostility, an end to conflict. Paul has in mind the rich sort of Hebrew concept of shalom. That is the fullness of life lived under God and the benefits of being his people. It's not really an inner feeling, like a day out at a spa or something like that. It's much more like the best summer holiday with family or friends, or the most sumptuous wedding banquet, surrounded by people that we love. And Paul says we can enjoy that peace with God. So do we know this richness of peace with God? The peace has a past aspect, if you look at it. We've been justified, verse 1, and it's got a present aspect, verse 2. Access to the grace, that is God's favour, in which we now stand. But the focus here is actually on the future, as Paul builds on that deep peace to show just how certain hope is from the end of verse 2. His point is that because we can be certain that Jesus justified us in the past, And because we are now in a state of peace with God, we can be certain of sharing in God's glory in the future. Paul says that peace with God brings solid hope. Past and present certainty means that the future is certain too. Now, we find uh, this sort of reasoning a bit difficult. We live in a world where uh, the past is certain because it, it has happened, I remember what I was doing at this time uh, last week. I was, uh, I was not working, I was on holiday, and so I was giving my son a bath uh, exactly one week ago. And the present is certain because it's happening all around us. I know where I am now, I think. But the future, well, that is just uncertain, isn't it? I plan to be here again this time next week preaching uh, the next sermon. But will I really be? Well, I, I just don't know. But that is not how God operates, is it? I can't guarantee the future, but God definitely can. Now, all human boasting was excluded back in 3 verse 27 because no one, no human, can control the past, the present, and the future. No human can justify themselves. No human can bring peace with God themselves. Only God's intervention in Jesus' death could save us. But now Paul actually boasts, he rejoices, he's confident 
about the fact that he will be with God in his glory. Because God can guarantee the future, just as he has guaranteed and done the past and the present. And so I ask us again, friends, do we know this solid hope that is brought by peace with God? If you don't, a successful year, I think, would be spending some time investigating it. If you've uh, come along with a friend who's a regular here, do ask them about their solid hope in Jesus. If you don't know anyone here, do come and find us at the Connect Corner again. Uh, We'd love to tell you about our Christianity Explored uh, course, which is starting on the 16th of October. It's a chance to investigate Christianity, to investigate what I'm uh, talking about through looking at Jesus's life in Mark's gospel and to ask any question that you want. The Bible says that you can have solid hope for the future. So why wouldn't you spend just a little bit of time this year checking out whether that is actually true? Peace with God brings solid hope, the certain expectation of future glory. But what about when our lives don't look that peaceful? What about when circumstances intervene to destroy that solid hope? Doesn't suffering now make future glory unlikely? If God can't protect us now from suffering, then how can we trust him to bring us into that glory? Isn't hope just a mirage? Paul himself, if you know his story at all, suffered a great deal by the, by the time that he'd already written this. You can read about that in uh, the Acts of the Apostles or in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 particularly. Or think about Corrie ten Boom's uh, story. She was a member of uh, the Dutch resistance who was arrested for harbouring and uh, feeding Jews during the Nazi occupation. She lost her father and her sister in detention, and she spent time in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Surely she didn't have solid hope at that point. But it isn't just uh, in the Bible or out there in uh, history uh, that suffering appears to make a mockery of solid hope. As many of you uh, know, uh, my son Timothy died last year at uh, 10 months old. One of the sort of painful privileges of that is that I actually now know many more of your stories of suffering as you've been able uh, to share them with me. That is a privilege that I didn't expect. How can I stand here knowing all those things and talk about solid hope? Well, follow again from verse 3 with me. Have a look again at that. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Paul says that not only does suffering not destroy his hope, he's even willing to boast about it. You see uh, where it says glory in verse 3, it's actually the same word as boast in verse 2. But I can see why they've chosen to uh, to do it that way. Uh, It sort of gets the tone of celebration that's in that word, uh, boast 
or glory. And that's a major surprise, isn't it? We ask, Paul, did you really mean to write that? That we also glory, we boast, we celebrate even in our sufferings. And Paul shoots straight back, absolutely I did. Because suffering ultimately strengthens hope. That's our second point. Suffering strengthens solid hope. Let me read that amazing chain in verses uh, three and four again for us. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Paul says that suffering leads to uh, perseverance. That's the ability to keep going and trusting in difficult circumstances, just like Jesus did. And then that perseverance leads to character, uh, which means something like a kind of tried and tested readiness when trial comes. And that character leads to hope, a certainty that what you have believed is true, the certain expectation of future glory. Now, Paul doesn't explain here exactly how the virtuous chain works, but I think that it's a cross between a refiner's fire and what a battle-hardened veteran must feel. Let me try and explain that. The veteran of many uh, fights must feel a sort of increasing confidence that they can get through uh, the next one. I I wouldn't know. Uh, But unlike the financial acts, past performance does actually indicate future success for them. Except, of course, the veteran either relies too much on their own strength or their weapons or whatever it is, or they fear that their luck will just run out, which is where the picture of the refiner's fire comes in. That is an external force that refines the gold to make it pure. There's an expert who knows just how much to heat the metal, just when to take it out of the fire, when to pour it out or whatever it is. Now, the gold obviously has no uh, feelings itself, but if it did, it could trust the expert, the refiner. The Christian who has suffered can have the confidence of a veteran of many fights and the confidence of gold that the refiner knows how to get to the pure end product. According to Paul, suffering doesn't dampen the prospect of sharing God's glory, of being part of that light drone show that I was talking about. Rather, suffering builds it. Suffering strengthens solid hope. And that is true in my experience. Now, I can't tell you all the things that God has changed in me since uh, Timothy's illness and his uh, death. Um, I don't know them all, and I don't think I will until I am in that glory. And I'm definitely not the finished article, and in many ways I often feel that I may be going backwards. But I am more sure now that God will bring me into his glory. He did not let go of me through those trials, so why would he let go of me now? I know that this is a hard thing uh, to be hearing if you are suffering right now. And remember, your suffering doesn't have to be the same as Paul's. It doesn't have to be the same as Corrie Ten Boom's or mine. 
It is not a sort of suffering competition. But please remember that suffering strengthens solid hope. And we can endure that suffering because there is a certain expectation of future glory. You may also uh, not think that suffering is around the corner, but it might be. Getting this truth into our hearts and into our heads now is so helpful for when suffering does come to us. I am so grateful to those who preached this to me and who modelled this to me over the years before uh, Timothy came along so that I knew that it was true before I had to test it out for myself. It was hard, but I knew it was true. I'm really grateful, too, to songwriters uh, who have given us words to express that. We've sung some great ones uh, this evening to help us to do that. This year, if suffering does come, will you trust that somehow God is using it to strengthen solid hope in him? Now, we're almost out of time, but Paul provides two massive pieces of evidence that our hope is, in fact, very solid. We'll look at the cross next week, as I said, from uh, verse 6 onwards, but have a look at verse 5 again with me. Paul says this, this is our third point, God's love proves solid hope. Let me read verse 5 again. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, hope does not put us to shame. That is, it is solid because God demonstrates his love towards us by pouring out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. The Spirit is the sort of subjective proof that God loves us and therefore that our hope is solid. It is certain. Don't neglect the Spirit's promptings uh, this week to engage in things that remind you about God's love. Let the Spirit do his work of pointing you to the cross as he does in verses 6 to 11. I really encourage you to read those uh, this week. That means getting into the habits of Bible reading and praying coming to church and uh, seeing Christian friends. That's why joining a life group, which we've talked about, is so important. Because we can help each other to do this. Those habits are vital for when we endure suffering. Now, the whole topic of how uh, God's love is proved by the gift of the Spirit deserves much greater treatment than sort of a third point at the end of a sermon. My main defence is uh, that Paul himself diverts the argument uh, but comes back to the theme in chapter 8 when again the spirit, uh, God's love and suffering uh, come together in what many sort of consider the summit of the Bible's Mount Everest that is uh, Romans. Uh, Do read uh, those verses this week and exult in God's love for you. And as you do, remember that God's love, shown in giving us his own spirit, proves that our hope is solid. So what are you hoping for this year? What come July would constitute success? 
a promotion, the right grades, a new relationship, or a greater sense of the hope of the glory of God. I hope this evening uh, we've seen that a successful year would be one where we can boast, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, even in suffering, because we know that God really does love us. We can enjoy his peace with the certain expectation of future glory. We can endure with that hope any suffering that comes our way. And we can exult in God's love for us, poured out in the gift of the Spirit, proving just how solid that hope is. I'm going to invite uh, the band back up, and in a moment I will lead us in a prayer before we sing again. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus, through whom we have peace with you. We praise you for the gift of the Spirit poured out into our hearts so that we know that you love us. We pray that this week, this year, we would be able to boast in the hope of the glory of God, even in suffering because we know that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.